Well, thank you, war. I think that was a Holy Spirit Freudian slip. What do you think? We'll now call Wallace war. Sounds rather Viking-ish, doesn't it? Who's your lead elder over there at Our Lord's? War. War is his name. (laughs) We are at war, aren't we? And there is joy in war, isn't there? We're seeing that, that there is joy and love and beauty and fun even in battle. If not, we'll go crazy. So we need some levity, we need a sense of humor in all that God is doing. I wanted to just take a moment here before we look at Psalm 63 today. And if you don't mind putting that slide up, wanted you to just see that Brad and Mike and I, how things have been apportioned in recent weeks. We have been prayerfully working through different facets of the church. And I wanted you, I'm not going to read through these, but you can at least get an idea there. Some of you are photographing it. You can shoot a picture of that. Just see the different areas where we're responsible and working with you. And in the coming months, what we hope to see is there are some teams developed in many of these, but we want each and every part of what we're doing to have broader, deeper teams and even teams within teams. So just take a look there and you can see everything from worship, C groups, prayer ministry team. We want to mobilize you to mobilize the church. And that really is our job across the board moving forward is to help you discover, rediscover your gifts and put them to use and carry the presence of the kingdom with you wherever you are. The Lord is giving us fresh vision and energy as a leadership team and as a church, as you can see in recent weeks. And at Our Lord's, we are passionate about being people who live a life of worship. We're passionate about formation and equipping of the saints. And we're passionate about partnering with Jesus as he builds his church and establishes the kingdom And we are in a season of mobilizing our people, you. Next week, we're going to talk more about this. We have something prepared called Everybody Plays Sunday. And we're going to speak with you about opportunities to volunteer and to use your gifts. And that is how we're moving forward, is from the greeter at the door, Smokey, and his team, uh, all the way through Kids Church, and C groups, and women's ministry, and men's ministry, and prayer ministry, we are in a time of vision in every facet of the church. We've been saying in this series on prayer that prayer undergirds everything we do, and everything we are. All that we are at Our Lord's is rooted in prayer. Prayer fuels our friendship with Jesus and being on mission with Jesus. This morning, I want us to explore Psalm 63, and I've asked the Barnetts to come up and read Psalm 63. Jay and Tasa, if you'll 
come and read Psalm 63 for us. Oh God, you are my God. I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips when I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword, and they shall be prey for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Amen. Thank you. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. We looked last week at Psalm 27, and we saw that David wrote Psalm 27 about beholding the beauty of the Lord in the desert. And here we are in Psalm 63, and guess where David is again? In the desert, in the wilderness. Previously, he was Sounded like a 24 episode, didn't it? Previously. Previously, David was fleeing from King Saul, and now he is fleeing from his third son, Absalom. There's an attempted coup taking place, and 2 Samuel 15 speaks about this. And there's something interesting here called a superscription. And it's basically the line of text above the psalm. You can see it on the slide. You can see it in your Bible. should be in your phone as well. And the superscription reads this, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness or desert of Judah. And those really are important oftentimes. They give you the historical context of the psalm. So we're seeing that David spends a good amount of time in the wilderness, in the desert, What's interesting about the Psalms we're seeing, and if you remember, looking at Psalm 27, we're going to look at Psalm 63 today, and then in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at Psalm 119, which is all about the Word of God. We're just going to take those three Psalms and look at prayer in them. When we pray and read these, the experiences of the authors become ours. And so this morning, we are in the desert with David in Psalm 63, and it gives a glimpse into the struggle of life with God. It's not easy. Many of you are experiencing that right now. Life with God is difficult. And as we'll see in Psalm 63, it involves trekking through the desert, nearly dying from thirst at times, spiritually, physically. It involves sleepless nights, facing people that want to hurt you real bad and enduring attacks from spiritual enemies. So what's beautiful about these psalms is they're raw, realistic, and gritty. 
And we'll see in Psalm 63 that there are three things that David is portraying about his experience of God in the wilderness. And the first is found in verses one through four. And that is thirsting for God. I love the way this psalm starts. How does it start? Anybody prayed like this before? Oh, God. It's a pretty good prayer. You can pray this anywhere, anytime, in any situation. Oh, God. Psalm 70, verse 1 says, Lord, help. Lord, help quickly. These are some of my favorite prayers. That is a biblical prayer. Oh, God. He's reminding himself, you are my God. He says in the next line there, I seek you. What's interesting about this Hebrew word for seek, some translations say seek earnestly or early. It's found in Proverbs 8, 117. It says, I love those who love me. And this is wisdom speaking to the people of God. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. So there's something about this word, about seeking earnestly, seeking diligently, seeking early. For this reason, Psalm 63, all over the world, is prayed by churches every morning. It's a morning psalm. So in the Catholic Church, for example, or the Eastern Orthodox Church, brothers and sisters all over Russia and Eastern Europe will pray this prayer every day. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. What does David go on to say? He says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh, my body faints or yearns for you. What's being conveyed here, oftentimes we over-spiritualize things, don't we? We talk about the soul, the spirit, these kinds of things. David's whole person is involved. He's saying, not only my soul, my immaterial part of myself, but my body is involved here. And for David, the body and the soul are working together, at least in this moment, in his pursuit of God. He's finding himself hungry. We know from the New Testament, Galatians 5.16 says that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we follow the Holy Spirit, our body comes into line with the Holy Spirit. So David here, in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament is saying, my body and my soul are yearning. I'm longing for God. He gets pretty detailed here, doesn't he? In what circumstances did David find his body and his soul longing for God? Look at this. He says, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Sit with that for a moment. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. As I was reading this this week, I wanted to ask you, what's the thirstiest you've ever been? Think about it for a moment. I remember 1985 two-a-day football practice at OCS in July. I had a football coach who will remain nameless because of potential libel and lawsuits, who is part Newt Rockney, the old Notre Dame coach, and part Mike Didka. The guy was nuts, in other words. 
So we're out practicing in the summer heat, covered in plastic and foam with big helmets on our heads. And if we didn't do the drill right or we didn't hustle enough, guess what he did away with in practice? Water breaks. Yes, that's why I mentioned lawsuits. Now this would never happen, but in 1985, he could do it. So here we are running with these 20-pound tackling dummies over our shoulders, running around, sweating, and I remember being the thirstiest I had ever been, and probably since then. And I've even hiked Grand Canyon with Rock Bottomley, who is also Newt Rockney. So I wasn't... I, I was thirstier at that moment than I've ever been before, and I remember my mouth. I could hardly move my mouth, and it would sometimes go on for over an hour, we would go extended over an hour, so maybe an hour and a half before we could have a drink of water, and then when you could take that drink. And it, we would be so desperate, we would run into the sprinkler system and just fall on the sprinkler and start drinking like a bunch of parched dogs. David was thirsty, maybe not at football practice, but he was thirsty. He had a spiritual thirst for the presence of God. He was in a physical desert running from his pursuers and he finds himself thirsty. Whether we like it or not, there are seasons in the desert, right? Life in God, life in Christ, life with the Holy Spirit means that we will traverse deserts at times. As Amanda and I have shared, uh, we spent seven years in a spiritual desert before we moved back to Oklahoma. We were lonely, we were disconnected from community, we were depressed, we were beaten up by the enemy in different areas, and sometimes the pain and purposelessness of the moment was smothering. I drank too much to medicate the pain, and at times it didn't even work. The pain would not go away, the loneliness. And some days, our good days, we sensed that God was there in the desert with us. And we would talk to one another, say, God is refining us, God is forming us, God is preparing us for something. Can we hang in there? Other days, it didn't go so well. Probably like you, we felt buried under the sand, not just in the desert, but like corpses in the desert. We were hopeless, buried, and even angry at God for long stretches of time. I shared that this desert experience, there were times when I could hardly muster up a prayer. I would turn to Amanda and say, would you pray, honey? Because I don't have any prayer, I'm out. The desert is difficult but God is in the desert. God was in the desert for David, and God is in the desert for you. God was in the desert for us. What's interesting, I can't get away from the desert. I thought, Lord, can we put that behind us? Can it please be in the rearview mirror? And I continue to find my pockets are full of sand, still got sand in my throat, sand in my eyes, and I thought, Lord, is this going to be something that sticks with us for the rest of our lives, and it might be. 
And I just want to open up on a personal note here. Even in the place of prayer, this morning I got up, and you know what I felt more than anything as I got out of bed this morning? Barren. Alone. I got nothing. And so in this place of prayer, I have sensed the Lord say, I'm here. Don't pray it away. Don't shout it away. Don't drill down into it. I am here in your barrenness. You got nothing, and I'm here. And something's going on. I'm not sure, but it's almost like a taproot is going down deeper. And so I'm inviting some of you who might be in a desert season yourself right now. Yes, there is a time to declare and pray and worship and shout, but there's also a time to acknowledge, you know what, I'm in the desert. And I'm gonna choose to meet God here. And this can actually be good news. This is not bad news at all. God is in the desert. The scriptures speak about this in Isaiah 35. God meets us in the desert. God brings rain to the desert. God causes the desert to bloom. So Psalm 63 here, we wouldn't be reading this psalm without the desert. It was born in the desert. In the desert, just so you know, I wanted to spend the bulk of the time in the first section here. Verse 2, David does what he did in Psalm 27. He says, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. So here goes David again. He's in the desert, and where does he go? He turns to the presence and the power and the glory of the Lord. We don't think about this, but David is actually remembering his times of worship in the sanctuary of the temple. It's seared on his mind and his heart, his memory. He is remembering at that moment, possibly in a cave somewhere, possibly hiding out in a bunch of shrub, trees out in the desert. He's recalling those moments that he had with the people of God in the sanctuary. And he's saying, Lord, I beheld your power and your glory then. And now I'm choosing to recall that. I want to behold your power and glory now. What a scene. David had watched things happen. He watched the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of the divine presence, come into the congregation of the people. And part of what we know from history, archaeology, is that Ark of the Covenant had these winged cherubim, these winged angels over it. And there were times when David speaks about I hid in those wings. Here in the very presence of God, the holy place, I beheld the power and glory of the Lord. What Psalm 63 is inviting us to do is behold during the week. How might you behold the power and the glory of God? Sundays together we do this, don't we? We come together, we behold the beauty, the power, and the glory of God, and then Monday comes, and you're supposed to forget it all, right? Is that right, Rishi? Just forget it all Monday. No. You carry the beholding with you during the week. We come together, and then we spark one another 
to thirst, to longing for God. If you get a hold of this, I mentioned it last week, if you learn in difficult moments to behold the power and the glory and the beauty of the Lord, it will change you. I remember years ago on a prayer walk and I I was talking to the Lord, when do these bad thoughts leave? I compare myself to other people. I have anger in my heart. I lust after people. When do they go away? Thankfully, the Lord didn't say never. It's part of being human. But I did sense him say, do spiritual judo. Who knows, what's the essence of judo? We may have a martial artist in here and I'm not gonna ask you to come and throw me down, but what's the essence of judo? Someone tell me. Take the other guy's strength and use it against him. I think that's what David is doing here when he talks about beholding the beauty of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, the power of the Lord. The enemy comes against us, sometimes internal temptation, sometimes external things, and we can do spiritual judo in that moment. Some of you are looking at me with blank stares. Others, it's settling in. If you practice this, you will find yourself praying all the time. Do you see it? The enemy comes after you. Maybe something rises up within you and you say in that moment, Lord, I behold your glory and your power. I turn to you. I turn from this, whatever it is, and I turn to you. So you begin to use the power, the force of the enemy against him and for your good. Does that make sense? So rather than taking, if these things are like rabid dogs attacking us, rather than taking a stick and poking at them, which doesn't go very well, you turn from it and you say, Lord, I'm yours. I want to behold your glory and your power. You start doing that through the day and your own sin can turn you to the Lord. David goes on to say here, David's obsessed. He says, my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands. I call on your name. David has a holistic response to the holy Lord. His body, his soul, his lips, his hands. Last weekend, I was at an OU Army football game. And those people were responding bodily to what was happening on the field, and it was scary for some OU Sinners fans. People were going nuts. I watched some people, guy a couple seats over, he looked like a librarian. This dude was straight-laced, I could just tell, probably had difficulty talking, pretty introverted guy, but when a good play happened, this dude came out of his seat and out of his skin and went nuts. He had a bodily response to what was happening on the field. Why don't we do that in church? We will go nuts at sporting events, and then when we come to church, we sit on our hands. I'm not saying, though, that we have to be physically expressive and shout all the time at our Lord's. It may be quiet as a convent, and it might be as loud as a sports event. Secondly, very quickly here, Again, I told you I wanted to spend the bulk of the time in the first four verses. A second experience that this psalm is showing here 
is being satisfied in God. So all the different things that David is talking about, his soul, multiple times here in verse five, he says it a second time. He says, my soul is satisfied as with a rich feast. It's like he's had the filet of God's presence and he's telling us about it. In verse six, he says, when I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, He's saying the daytime doesn't afford enough time. Anyone have sleepless nights? I use Unisom oftentimes just to get a good night's sleep, and I'm learning in my 48th year to actually practice this. I've been praying this recently. Lord, I'm laying here. I can be filled with anxiety. I can think about all the things that I've got to do tomorrow and next week, but I'm choosing right now, like David said, I'm thinking of you on my bed. I am meditating on you in my bed. And something is going on. Even in those sleepless nights, no counting of sheep. I'm gazing, I'm beholding, I'm thinking about the presence of the Lord inspired by this. So I invite you to meditate on the Lord in those sleepless nights. David goes on to talk about the Lord is help. He says, my soul clings to you. This is a beautiful word here. Look at that word cling. The same Hebrew word is used to suggest vital relationships of all kinds. Guess what the word is used in Genesis 2.24 to describe the relationship between Adam and Eve? Cling. It's also used in the book of Ruth. Ruth clung to Naomi because she was helping her. She was rescuing her. Ruth clung to Boaz. Deuteronomy 4 says that the people of God cling to the Lord by keeping his commandments, by loving him with all of the heart, soul, mind, and strength. So it's a beautiful word. David says, your right hand upholds me. We know from scripture, the right hand is actually someone Who is the hand of the Lord? The Holy Spirit. Jesus says that he does his ministry through the power, the hand of the Lord. And so what David is saying here, and we know as New Testament people, Lord, my soul clings to you and your spirit lays hold of me. The spirit clings to me. Thirdly, in verses 9 through 11, we'll end with this. David speaks of being victorious through God. So we've got thirst, we've got satisfaction, and now we have victory through God. At verse nine, David says, those who seek to destroy my life, they're surrounding him. For David, these are physical enemy warriors hunting him down. The early church fathers would read a passage like this and say, you know, it's not a good idea to talk about interpreting this in a violent way. So we're going to suggest a spiritual interpretation. They got it from Paul. Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, who do we battle against? Not flesh and blood, but spiritual forces. So we as a church would read a passage like this at verse 9, verse 10. And we would say, Lord, you 
will take care of our spiritual enemies. Even if we have physical people come against us at some time, there is a spiritual force behind that. So we choose to call out to you spiritually. And what's interesting, these folks are going down, right? David says, and what are they being given over to? Look in the text. To the power of what? The sword. So as New Testament Christians, same passage, Ephesians 6, what does this mean for us spiritually? Wield the sword. Get in the word. Store it up. Learn to wield the sword of the spirit, I think this text is saying to us. And David ends. Some of this can be rather cryptic and difficult. David says at verse 11, but the king shall rejoice in God and all who swear by God will exult for the mouths of the liars will be stopped. So in the wilderness and warfare, David is finding joy. And he's saying, there's two types of people here. Some who call on God's name and some who spread lies. What's amazing, Brad, worship team, they were singing about this. There's a messianic fulfillment to this psalm, isn't there? Who's the greater David? The Lord Jesus. Who's the greater king? Jesus. We were singing about this. Brad was talking about it. The mouths of the liars will be silenced. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So even Psalm 63 is singing to this fact that King Jesus, the son of David, will come and rule and reign. This week, I want to invite you to meditate on this passage, on Psalm 63, to pray with the Lord, to dialogue with God about thirsting for him in the desert. Lord, awaken, quicken thirst in me. Feasting on the Lord's presence. Lord, teach me how to feast on your presence. Teach me how to do spiritual judo maybe this week. And lastly, Lord, teach us about overcoming through your power. So Lord, we do, we ask you through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the word of God to continue to work in us. Lord, I sense that there are people in here who are also in the desert and have been in a desert. And I ask you to awaken hope in them.